Little Johnny is heading to what he thinks is going to be a vacation on his grandmother's plantation in the antebellum South. But when his father reveals that he's leaving Johnny and his mother there, Johnny is distraught and attempts to run away until he encounters Uncle Remus, a kindly old storyteller who helps Johnny cope with his situation by telling him stories about Br'er Rabbit. In a film that was deemed far too racist by even Disney's standards and all but erased from existence, save for a few copies online, this is 1946's Song of the South. I'm Connor Zagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is 2020's Last Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday and Happy New Year, listeners. This is the 117th episode of the Filmgasm podcast and our last episode of the year. And what a year it's been. In this year, we've started a second show, Oscar Sunday, increased our podcast team from four to seven, and have started prep work on a third show, Sneak Preview, premiering this Monday, January 4th. But apart from that, it's been a real nightmare out there. 2020 has seen so much death, divisiveness, and cruelty but I have to hope that we can be better than what we've seen out there. Films like Song of the South remind us just how tone deaf and insensitive society has been in the past. And when we're not healed and united by any means, we are better. Be the bigger man, choose love over hate, and never compromise who you are. Those should be everyone's goals for 2021. Well said. Well said, my man. Um, You know, the attitude of that by just a calendar, you know, changing that things are going to get better. It's about a mindset and it's about being positive and having a, having energy that is infectious towards others, kindness, love. Like it's really, really a simple thing. Right. And we're being tested, you know, Uh, and the the response that we've seen over, over 2020 is not, not, not the, not the best, but, you got, you have to have hope, right. Uh, as a human being to continue moving. And I, I'm glad I've grown here with you, our friendship here, man. Cause I, I really hold it. It's something that's really special. And, uh, that's the stuff you kind of hold on to, right. Uh, through this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm looking forward to 2021 because I, cause I, I, I see it as a mental chance for people to, you know, rally to rally for our country to rally and, and uh, get back to societal norm and do that together as one. That would be, that would be nice. It would be nice to feel like a United States again. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of, especially this year, a lot of pain, a lot of idiocy, a lot of just hellish reality for a lot of people. And they're, is a chance here to put a lot of hate aside and grow towards something better. And I really hope we take the high road. I really hope we do. We need it. We need to be better. Oh, well, that is enough politics. Uh, There is no rewind this week. So let's jump right in. And what is sure to be a controversial episode. Yeah, actually, Politics are back. <laughs> yeah, never mind. My mistake. Um, Austin, prior to this podcast, what did you know about Song of the South? Uh, I had read about it, about how it has been totally banned and seen as this 
you know, explicitly racist film, uh, explicitly, explicitly racist, you know, text, uh, American text made in the forties by Disney, you know, and it's a, a movie that, you know, uh, Disney plus has everything under the sun that they've done in sign of the South is not there stuff like that. Right. You know, that's what I've known about it, but I've never, you know, honestly never cared to go into it, to even try to find it or watch it. I, um, and then you, you brought it up. Hey, I found a link to, to, to watch this. And I was like, Whoa, that's weird. You know, I've never actually, actually had an opportunity to watch this movie. And I don't even know if I would call it opportunity because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, it's a complete shitstorm. And with all the, the stuff that you read about it, you know, racist stuff and how offensive the film is, all of that stuff aside, which we're obviously going to talk about, it's just not a good movie. You know, you look at what Disney's doing at this time. You know, it's 1946. Hey, you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, 1937. Pinocchio, 1940. Fantasia, 1940. Dumbo, 1941. Bambi, 1942. You know, like, you can rewatch these movies, and there's some issues with them, right? There's some issues here and there, and there's issues with a lot of Disney movies. Hmm. But there's not issues with the entire thing, like Song of the South, from just, uh, it's from how tone deaf it is to, you know, how false it is. And... (laughs) It's an, yeah, it's an hour and a half of, of like tomfoolery. It's, it's just, it's bullshit <laughs> is what it is. Uh, and I, I, I think you feel the same way I do as about like, it wasn't as, this is hard to say, but it wasn't as offensive because I'm, I am, I'm a white male. It's hard, hard to say this, but it wasn't as wild as I thought it would be, but it's just a horrible movie and the definition of tone deaf. Yeah, I pretty much agree. Um, I don't think the film intended to be as offensive and hurtful as it was. I do think Walt Disney was trying to make a kid's movie, something that people could enjoy. This was post-World War II. I think he wanted to make something that people could smile at. And that he always had his eye on the Uncle Remus stories for some reason. And this is what he made with it. And, I mean, we all know things about Walt Disney. He was not, you know the wholesome face of Disney the entire time. He was also, you know, a heavy smoker. He had his own weird, wacko political beliefs. But I do not think he intended to hurt people with this. But he did. And this film is Disney's darkest day, really. It's the one film they've wiped from the face of the earth. And that is saying something. When you look at their filmography and what they've allowed to be put out there, what they are okay with, you really got to see something bad in this to lock this away when looking at like Peter Pan and being cool with that. So I just think it's the, the reason I wanted to do this film was because it's a film that's been erased and yes. there's not a lot of films that have been erased effectively. And when you find a, a link to that, when you have an opportunity to watch a film that's been completely wiped off the face of the planet, you don't say no. So I, I, I agree. I, I kind of agree. There's very few kinds of movies I wouldn't watch if I had like you said that link <clears throat> to watch a film that's erased from time erased from history that's what people yeah. try to do yeah and I thought you know I thought it was worth talking about and it, it, it is it, it, it is and the, the whole 
Disney conversation. And, and you know, look at us. Look at here we are, uh, episode 117 of, of Filmgasm, and over on episode 26 of Oscar Sunday, we talked about a bunch of Disney movies for an hour and a half, you know, and, and like jerked them off. So, you know, we are not holier than thou, and we're not going to, you know, deny every Disney movie or, or whatever. We're not here to say that we're fuck Disney, never watch them. You know, we're, that's, that's not our angle at all. No, but I feel a certain way about holding all of them accountable. If you are to hold song of the South, you know, if you're going to hold that one accountable, and I know it's pretty much the whole movie is offensive, but that doesn't mean that there's not offensive parts in the other ones. Then maybe cut the other, maybe cut the offensive parts out of, you know, fucking Pocahontas, you know, maybe, uh, maybe just get rid of Pocahontas altogether. Maybe, you know, cut things out of these, these films, you know, from the forties and fifties. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the right philosophy is. You know, I've always thought, you know, just it is what it is. It kind of shows how we, how far we've come, right. When you watch an old film and you see, Holy shit, Walt Disney was just had no idea what he was talking about and, and is delusional. And that's the problem, right? The problem is that he made this movie and what are you doing? You're not the right voice for this and you don't even know what you're talking about. And that's the problem, you know? <laughs> and that's the problem with all of these movies from, from there all the way you know, to, to 1995's Pocahontas. You know, that's like, are you kidding me? This is, this is, bu- this movie is actual bullshit, you know? And it's happened multiple times. You brought up Peter Pan. I know what scene you're talking about. It's appalling. Like, it's disgusting. It's nasty. And it, it happens a lot through their, <laughs> through their run, you know, and they've, they've had a multiple things happen with, Oh, there's, you know, these things on Reddit and all, all these theories, you know, from the, for years about, Oh, there's, you know, sex is written in the sand somewhere in Lion King, all crazy shit like that. You know, even if, you know, whatever those true or not, those are true or not. I haven't really looked into them. The fact that they're, the fact that they're theories shows you, you know, <laughs> It shows you the kind of world you're in sometimes when you're, you're, you know, looking at Disney and the filmography because there, there's some really offensive stuff. Song of the South just happens to be offensive the whole time. Well, yeah, but like you said, so is Pocahontas. Uh, pretty much the whole time. Yeah, Pocahontas is pretty much offensive the whole time as well. I, I, you and I are in the same boat. That movie is kind of trash. It's the worst one of that 90s run. And... I'm, you know, we're sorry to anyone who feels strongly about the music. That's fine. But it is, it is just not what Disney needs to be doing. Retelling these true stories uh, in just the complete wrong way and not even trying to do it right. It, that bothers us. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it should, it should bother, it should just bother people in general. Whereas something like Beauty and the Beast, you know, you're not fucking with a real life person like Pocahontas, you know, so... <laughs> That's that's the whole that's the whole thing. So when they do that shit, like Song in the South and Pocahontas, it, it just seems to not go too hot. I agree, but I don't think the solution is erase it. I think what you have to do is show it in its entirety, completely uncut, every scene from Peter Pan, Dumbo, everything, or else we don't learn a damn thing, or else yeah. we can't reflect and think, what the hell were we thinking? We never need. We should never do that again. Yeah. If you just wipe clean the sins, you can't learn anything. 
So I think this film needs to be put on Disney Plus. I think people need to watch it. There needs to be a disclaimer that says like, yeah, we don't think like this anymore and we're goddamn ashamed of it. But you made the movie, fucking admit it. Fucking face the fact that you developed this film in 1946 and stop acting like you didn't. I, yeah, I agree with you. I do. But I know... You know, I know there's... This is this is a... This is why we're doing this episode, right? This is the yeah. conversation that heavy shit. That it, it's it's really hard because we we know we know what's happening here. We know we're we're two twenty five year old white dudes. You know, we're talking about Song of the South, and we're talking about how it should be on a streaming service for for like you said, Disney. Admit it. You know, own up to that shit. You made that shit, just like you made Pocahontas. But I, but I know that there are people who don't want to go through that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to necessarily speak for any individual. I don't want to speak for anybody but myself, really, um, unless I have permission. But right here, I'm, I'm really trying to speak from the heart here is I, I think there are people who do not want to go down that road. And do not want to watch a movie that has that has characters speaking in a way that is so negatively, you know, playing off of a stereotype that it's like if it were 10 minutes, maybe, but it's an hour and a half and it's kind of painful. There's 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 three segments of these cartoon characters in the film, right? In Song of the South. And all three of those segments are, are, are pretty painful for me to watch. I can't imagine if I had the skin of this, you know, group of people that they're playing off of a fucking stereotype for this whole goddamn movie. I, I agree with you on the foundation of, you know, if you make it, man, own up to that shit, put it out there. And if, if someone wants to watch it and go down that road and learn like you and I did, so be it. But it's really hard to say, and I know you didn't mean anything, but it's really hard to say that people need, need to see it. Well, you, you, I, 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 I know, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll let you explain exactly what you yeah. meant, but I, I do think there are plenty of people who just are like, nah, I don't really feel like going down that road, you know? Yeah. I totally understand that. I can, I definitely see how this film is incredibly hurtful and incredibly offensive. And I don't yeah, think it really yeah. needs to see it. I think that this film, I just think it should, I think it should be out there. And I, I just, think, I want Disney to own up to the fact that they made it. That's really it. I don't want them. To, I agree. I don't want them to bury it in the desert and forget about it. I want them to accept the fact that they are behind this horrific movie and apologize for it. That's all I want. I want them to say, you know, we made this. It's here. We're sorry. And yeah, but I don't think anybody needs to sit down and watch this to learn anything. I think that they'll just, if they want to, cool. If not, all the better to you. Because it's it's not an informative film on anything. It, it doesn't teach you. No. Anything. It doesn't. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's just an hour and a half of absolute horseshit that somebody thought was was okay. And yeah, I, I thought about a, a lot. I thought about different 
perspectives, obviously, you know, while watching this and you think about, you know, it actually is actually kind of a tool, this film for someone who's maybe from, you know, Eastern Europe, you know, Uh, you watch this movie. No, no, no. This is what was happening in 1946 America. You know, there's plenty of lies in, in ways that, you know, America manipulated people to think what was happening here throughout, you know, for, for, for over a century now. And this movie would be something that you could show someone in 1946 who lived somewhere else. And they'd be like, Oh, Holy shit. You know, it's not, it's not so hot over there. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and, and from that perspective, from someone who's not from here and doesn't, you know, totally know what's going on and, and maybe believes whatever propaganda they see about whatever's happening here and is like, Oh, you know, everything's amazing in America, that sort of thing, you know, and then you see some of the art we make and it's like, no, <laughs> no, it, it can be used as a tool to see uh, same way birth of a nation that quite literally was used as a tool for people who were fans of the movie. And then, and then in turn over time is used to, to show people, this is how fucked things were. This is, yeah. this is what was this, th- that film was popular and Song of the South here is a Disney movie being made in the forties with, you know, with that's just extre- extremely, extremely tone deaf. And that's, that's, you hate to see that. <laughs> yeah, you do. And I knew birth of a nation was going to come up inevitably. It's it, it, they kind of, you know, it kind of makes sense, you know, with that conversation, right. As far yeah. as American films that are just a representation of the really horrible, horrible parts of our history. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, for those of you who don't know, uh, 1915's Birth of a Nation is a film that glorifies the Ku Klux Klan and as in their ongoing fight against the evil black Americans who are raping white women. It's a horrible, horrible, offensive piece of shit movie. The first film ever screened in the White House by President Wilson. Unbelievable. And then its popularity actually revived the Klan in America. So that movie is the worst thing that ever happened to cinema. <laughs> I, yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, 100%. As far as I know, and I don't think there's anything else that can trump it. And like you said, the film Song of the South being used as a tool. I, I brought up something in our Oscar Sunday on Beauty and the Beast about how Disney films are kind of the first films that kids watch. Yeah. And Here we go. Here we go. It's yeah, always yeah, been yeah. the case. Since Snow White, Disney films have been shown to kids as their first movies. Song of the South is one of those films that in the forties was shown to kids. And that can, you know, these kids can grow up with a very fucked up mindset on race relations with that film. And yeah, I understand why Disney has locked it away. I I do get, I understand it, but I don't, it's, it's, it's a tough call. It really fucking is. It's a tough decision to make here. I don't, yeah. It's, it's gray. It's gray. I don't think there is a right or wrong answer here. No. I, I think if someone wants to say, fuck that movie, I never want to see a lick of it. I, I get it. I get it. That's fine. It's an hour and a half. I, I totally understand. If someone 
if you, if you Connor come up to me and say, you know what? I've seen a lot of Disney movies and there's a lot of weird stuff in it. I want to see, I want to see what people are talking about here. Yeah. That's entirely see. the reason why I watch this. It, yes. I, I get, I get that too. I totally understand kind of all of the angles and we, you know, early on in, in doing these podcasts, we kind of had to confront that and reconcile with that, with our Roman Polanski episode. Yeah. Because it became, became a conversation, you know, where you're bashing, you're bashing an individual and, you know, in this case, we're bashing an individual, you know, a, a film and some of their films, of course, in the Disney run and, we're bashing Walt Disney himself and it, it gets tough, man. <laughs> it, it ends up becoming a really great situation where you're like, Oh my gosh, some of this art is so close to me. Yeah. Some of some of the stuff that Disney has done, you know, and that's why I brought up something like Roman Polanski where it becomes gray. You have an appreciation for the art, but also separate the people who are making it, you know, and, and in this case, this art sucks. So it's just well, Disney. Disney has so many goddamn, you know, films that, you know, every kid's bound to like one of them, you know, <laughs> what, you know, you know what I'm saying? And it's, it becomes really difficult. And when, like me, when I bring up a movie like, you know, Hunchback of Notre Dame and you bring up a film like Lion King, it's going to be hard to also be like, oh yeah, that's Walt Disney shit. Mm, see, but no. All the Disney movies I grew up with and loved, Walt Disney had absolutely nothing to do with them. He was dead. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't his hand picked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anything, it's Michael Eisner who crafted my childhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for and for for uh, you know, Pete Doctor, yeah, and John Lasseter, yeah. <laughs> well, Lasseter ended up being a creep. So <laughs> Yeah, but you know, those movies, hey. <laughs> Rowan Plansky's a creep, but his movies uh, are now big for us. Yeah. But the thing about Song of the South, the product ended up being incredibly racist because it was made by incredibly racist people. So I don't really well, think we're well, well, saving then, anything. Then, then what? What's the? You know, what about Pocahontas? That's a movie that comes out right after Lion King. Yeah. That's that's my main point. Is it's not just back then. It's it's the Disney company that does this over and over and, and and just now it took this long for not not even just disney you know disney's pixar for them to come out with soul a movie that actually had you know a black person writing and co-directing kent powers and that's huge the fact that that doesn't happen all the time within Disney and Pixar is a, is a goddamn crime, but it shows in soul. It shows that there's an actual voice there. It shows that there's someone there who can say, Hey, this is where we need to go with this. This is, you know, this will be relative. And it showed and it showed because it was fucking different than all the other Pixar movies and different, than all the other Disney movies. And I love when they do stuff like that. They kind of push, push the envelope a bit and they, you know, they have done that. And I would say Lion King is one of those. Um, I just, I, I wish there was more, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I can't explain Pocahontas. I really can't. I think. Neither can I, neither can I. And you know, I can't explain some, some of the simple shit like, uh, well, it's not really simple, like little mermaid, just like the morality of it. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. 
so we're gonna weird. talk at, we're gonna talk at length about kind of disney's racist past uh towards the end of the show but yeah it's really like it's peppered throughout their work it's like, kind of unflinchingly which is why it's so interesting that song of the south is the one they chose to erase where you look at this stuff it's kind of there's little things throughout a lot of their films that have just kind of been, we've all been kind of cool with for 50, 60 years. And uh, I don't know where to, you know, I don't really know why. And I, I, I'm sure nobody really does. I mean, a lot of things, you know, we kind of just don't think about until it's shown to us until we like are shown, this is why it's wrong. And then we kind of have to think about like, yeah, that is fucked up. Why have I just been cool with that for my entire life? Peter oh, Pan was one of my yeah. favorites as a kid. I've seen that scene with the Native Americans so many times. Not once in my childhood did I think this is wrong. I watched it once when I was 18 and I'm like, what the fuck ha- happened here? It just, it takes, you know, not education and knowledge and knowing what's right, what's wrong, knowing the, pro- like seeing through the propaganda. You have to be able to think for yourself or else you're never going to know what's morally wrong or right. Yeah. Uh, is it weird that I thought about Jojo Rabbit while watching Song of the South? No, not at all. That makes that's that's very good. That's a good. Yeah, totally. Song of the it, South you, is American propaganda straight up. Yeah, it's. And, you know, when you're watching Johnny, the little boy in Song of the South, he's just this that actor. Good lord have mercy he, oh, he's got a sad fucking story i i don't know anything about him i don't even know his name so i now i feel like shit but <laughs> not a good not a good performance here uh for johnny his yeah i've got a bit about uh, i think his name was uh something driscoll ben driscoll maybe uh that sounds right actually i think i scrolled past bobby that. driscoll bobby driscoll bobby yeah and his like he was only in a few films and then like he died young and he died sad so we'll get to him. <laughs> but, oh yeah, uh, I see now. I see that. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh damn, we're not we're only like 20 minutes into this and we've we've hit some heavy fucking discussion. God damn. I knew this was gonna happen. This was gonna this was a tough one to put on the calendar. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, um, yeah it's gonna happen. Yeah. You, you, it's hard to even put Song of the South on the table without okay, well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get in, we're gonna dig in here and there's so many things you could pause this movie every two minutes and be like, Oh, you know, there's, there's something that's a problem. That's a problem. Like, why are they speaking like this? So what, what are we doing? You know, yeah. just to just falsely representing, you know, uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a goddamn crime, you know, like, I don't know. And you, you, you mentioned how it's not, you know, they're not, not trying to be intentional, but you know, racism is always like, good God, that's should not ever even be your last yeah. resort. I'm in no never... way by saying that, am I no way excusing anything that happened in this film? Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can't like, like we, we brought up at the very beginning, you hold these hold all of them accountable, right? You know, we, we dogged the shit out of Pocahontas. We're going to obviously do the same about song of the South. Uh, yeah, man. Um, Driscoll, I, I just, I just looked that up. Uh, man, this guy, that's, that's like, I don't, I, I don't, you know, how do we even go down that road when we're already talking about this stuff, you know, uh, Jesus Christ. Well, Song of the South 
has a story that is worthy of a biopic itself. The development of this <sighs> film is its own crazy story. And considering Disney made a movie about the making of Mary Poppins, I want them to, you know, it'll never fucking happen, but I want them to make a movie about this. And um, here's kind of the story of Song of the South, how this all happened. Oh, man. It began in the aftermath of World War II, where Walt Disney Studios was dealing with financial difficulties due to a lack of foreign markets during the war. Obviously, no one in Europe is watching Disney movies when they're being bombed to shit by the Nazis. Uh, they had been producing military training videos for the U.S. government, and while they were kind of breaking even with that, they weren't getting any profit out of it. And you know Disney. That's number one on the to-do list every time. <laughs> profit. The only profit they could scrape up was when they re-released Pinocchio and Snow White in 1946. And even then, they still had to lay off half their workforce later that year. The times were tough for Walt Disney Studios. In order to produce profit, Disney started to consider a new medium. They started to consider mixing animation with live-action family films. Because they had an ongoing contract with RKO Pictures, which... Um, included only strictly animated films. So if they did live action films with a little animation inside of it, they weren't violating their contract and they could make a profit. So they acquired the rights to the Uncle Remus storybook in 1938 with plans to eventually make it into a fully animated film. And the Uncle Remus storybook is its own whole can of fucking worms. Uh, they worked out a deal with the estate of writer Joel Chandler Harris, who first compiled the Uncle Remus stories from former slaves in the late 1800s. So this white guy, guy, white guy, white guy, very white guy. Yeah. Yeah. White Southern gentleman died in 1908, spent his whole career stealing uh, cultural stories from former slaves, compiling them into a book, rewriting them into a kind of old timey dialect and making it sound, you know, black. And this guy sold like, well, his family sold the rights to Disney and to date, that family has made over $300 million from the Uncle Remus books and the film. That is fucked up. That is incredibly fucked up. Oof. So that's where this film came from. This Not even made yet, and this film already has an, a decade, decades of racist uh, theft on its, you know, in its soul. So, <laughs> goddamn. Had you heard of the Uncle Remus stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did a little bit of research, so I read that, yeah, they were, you know, the source of this is, yeah, a, a hefty white gentleman who decided, yeah, he was going to, like you said, steal, steal some, some. I, I love the way you word it. It's, you know, cultural stories here that, Oh, that's so disappointing. And it makes sense that it's a shit product when you, when you hear that, you know, yeah. you hear that and you're like, you're like, Oh, Tony, I get it now. Cause it's, cause it is. <laughs> yeah. It's really, Oh God. $300 million. Um, screenwriter Dalton Raymond uh, was hired to write this film. He delivered a first draft to Walt Disney, which was then reviewed by the Hayes office. We know about them. And, uh, they ordered some particularly offensive terminology be stricken from the script. So his first draft was so fucked up that Hayes Code went, no, you can't say this. And that is, that's impressive. I got to say, to be that, to be so overtly racist in 1946 where the Hayes Code is totally against that. Usually they're cool with, you know, when it comes to racism in the 40s, 
you can say whatever you want. Oh yeah, they were they were planning that shit. They were trying trying to endorse that shit. Yeah, it's the one time where I've agreed with the Hayes Code, where they're like, write that out. Yeah. Hey guys, this is gonna make us look bad. Come on. Um, Disney then hired African American writer Clarence Muse as a script consultant, but Muse backed out when he saw how African Americans were going to be portrayed in the film. Uh, Muse wrote to numerous African-American publications, asking them to boycott the film. And then Disney went after Muse, claiming he quit the film because he wanted to play Uncle Remus himself and Disney wouldn't let him. So they hire a black man to consult the script. He gives suggestions. They say no. He quits and goes to publications and say, this movie is going to make us look horrible. Don't see it. And then Disney attacks this man. (laughs) Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Yeah. Also, um, executive secretary of the NAACP, a man named Walter White, not kidding, uh, was denied requests to view a treatment of the film. So even after all this, they wouldn't let anybody, any any black person who in, like wanted to see how this film was going to be made, they said no. Uh, Dalton Raymond, by the way, had never written a script before, was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in 1896. So not exactly a neutral progressive voice writing this film. No, no. Yeah. His treatment included phrases like, and I'm really sorry to say this, uh, he had white people addressed in the film as Massa. So I'm sorry for saying that. Disney then hired Maurice Rapp, a Jewish gentleman, to tone it down because Disney basically said, like, you're Jewish. You know how oppression works. Why don't you polish this off? Jesus Christ. And he included dialogue that made it clear that this took place after slavery. However, those additions were later taken out. It's... <laughs> God, what a shitstorm. What a shitstorm. <laughs> it, it makes sense, right? You know, the, the product is, is, is what it is when you hear... How they got there is just this is not art. <laughs> it's not. It really is. Like the more I look into uh, this, like, maybe they were trying to make this a hurtful film. <laughs> Some people definitely were, yeah. So and remember, all Walt Disney did really at this point was throw money at this. Like he didn't really have any involvement in production. That was all uh directors I'm gonna be talking about in a minute here. So okay, despite yeah. Yeah. Despite being a box office success, Song of the South was never given a home video release. Former Disney CEO Michael Eisner said the film would never see the light of day again in America as he did not want him or or the company accused of racism and he didn't want to have to deal with the potential fallout. Uh, Not really the best reasoning behind locking this movie away. Like, I don't want to be known as a racist. Not, Not very selfless, but yeah. Michael Eisner. So Because of this, the film was sealed away in the Disney vault, never to be released on video, DVD, Blu-ray, or streaming. For all intents and purposes, Song of the South does not exist anymore in America. Overseas, it's a different story. The film was released on VHS and Laserdisc in some European and Asian countries. On March 11th, 2020, current Disney CEO Bob Iger said Song of the South would not be put on Disney+, Plus, even with a disclaimer saying the film is, quote, not appropriate in today's world. And that's pretty much the story of how this film came about and where it has gone. Kind of crazy. It is. And with Disney Plus, you know, I have I have a near two-year-old daughter. So I I thought about, 
you know, when she's, you know, five or six or, or whatever, and, you know, she grabs the remote, she starts, you know, picking stuff on her own. Yeah. <clears throat> I certainly wasn't wanting her to, to stumble up, stumble across uh, Song of the South, but I think if there was a way that maybe the film couldn't be played unless there was like a code you pressed in or something, you know, yeah. I don't see why, I don't see why not, but I, I definitely wouldn't want, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on Disney plus that I, I am like totally okay with her at like watching, even if she didn't mean to yeah. like, Oh, I accidentally hit Tarzan instead of, you know, Dumbo. Like I'm okay with that, but I'm not necessarily okay with like her young mind taking on song of the South. It's not, not something that I want her thinking like too, you know, thinking about at that age, maybe, maybe a little later, right? When she can gather that what year it was and this is, you know, 80 years ago type thing and this is what was happening in America. This is the type of Disney film that was being made. And I, I just don't think I would want her to just stumble across it. I don't know. I, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, yeah, in the wrong context, this film can be really damaging to children. It, it could be just like psychologically. You just have like no idea what, what could happen. And it's, I'm fucked it is up is that those... that's the way we're thinking. And this film was made for kids. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I definitely watch all of these films now with a much different lens now that I do have a child. I'm, wow. And, it, it, you know, we all know this. There's a lot of stuff in the Disney and Pixar, you know, movies that, is for adults because they know adults are also going to be going to see them. But for the most part, it is a children's film. It is a kid's film. It is intended to entertain younger people with, you know, colors and animation and, you know, stuff that pops and fun voice actors. So, yeah, I mean, I can see how a kid would get distracted by Song of the South. You see these characters and for a minute you just kind of get distracted, but I just don't know if that's necessarily a a good thing for like the young, young youth, but it is an interesting thing for grown up Americans to watch as kind of a, a, a a text that is representative of where the company was at that time. Very fascinating. Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, I mean, nobody really talks about this, this film, everyone just kind of, you know, throws it away. It's like, yeah, it happened, but, and I think I I think a, like an interesting way to do it would be I know that there's some filmmakers who've removed their own content, but if you reach out to them, they may provide you with a you know a burner copy of or something. I know that there's a couple films that have done that. Disney could do like a you know if you want to watch Song of the South, reach out, explain your reasoning, and we will provide you with a like 24 hour code. Some kind of that like something like that. I think that would be good as like a solution. So it can be seen by people who want to understand but yeah i don't i do think that putting it on disney plus for just anybody to see could have some pretty fucked up consequences yeah yeah exactly and and the fact that it is a kids movie you know it's not a you know it's not a fucking you know tarantino or you know whatever it's not you know it's a kids movie so when it is intended to be a kids movie and it is this tone deaf and this offensive there's definitely a conversation to be had in some uh discretion that that you should know this isn't your run in the mill uh kids movie <laughs> no, this no, is no. this is not finding nemo you know <laughs> yeah so the film's directors were harv jackson who did the live action part 
and Wilfred Jackson, who did the cartoon part. Pretty sure that was there. Were they both named Jackson? <laughs> Let I, me, believe, I believe that's right. Let me confirm that. That sounds like a typo, but I don't know. <laughs> Wilfred Jackson and... Um, Harv Foster, my mistake. Okay, I saw a different name. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it was a typo. Harv Foster. So while Foster went on to direct a lot of TV episodes, he didn't really do much after this. Uh, Wilfred Jackson was one of Disney's go-to animated directors. He co-directed the Disney classics Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, Melody Time, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, and Lady and the Tramp before his death in 1988 at 82 years old from undisclosed reasons. What a resume. I, I wonder if he resented his involvement in this film. I wonder if looking back at his career, he thought like, why did I do that? Well, yeah, you would think that he's got to, there's got to be something in there that tells him, well, it's what well, he can, he can read, you know, or, or hear people saying, oh, that was stupid. You know, it's just a part of your reputation that you don't want to have. Um, that's unfortunate. That's an unfortunate thing to have, uh, you know, on your career, on your filmography, for it to be a part of what you did creatively, that, that just kind of sucks. Yeah, but at the same time, he also did Dumbo and Peter Pan, which have substantially racist moments in that. So, Extremely. I don't know if there was any uh, you know, remorse here. I mean, this was, you know, and we forget this was, you know, pre-civil rights movement in America. This, you know, progression was not there. This was just the way everyone thought. So the films reflect the times. And that's unfortunate, but that's, that's what these were. These were reflections of society in the 40s. Uh, <clears throat> for sure, and continues. It, it will always continue. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, is from writer-director Spike Lee when he, he said that directors, movie makers, filmmakers are here to interpret, you know, interpret, you know, life. For, for us, for fans, for people who want to, you know, immerse themselves in art. I love that. I, I love that wholeheartedly, but it's very dangerous. Very dangerous. You know, movies, <laughs> movies are obviously our bag, right? It's, our, it's what we do. It's what we really care about. It's what we think about mostly with our spare time. And, but it is a, you know, with, depending on what mind is, a, you know, in the audience, it is a dangerous, dangerous medium. And it has been for over a hundred years, a, you know, a powerful medium that can change lives and it can all, you know, that could mean it could deter people from doing anything good with their lives or it can, you know, show people the light. It can show people, Hey, this is, you know, things can be okay. You know, it, it has such power, this medium, but it, it has, with that, you know, comes, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. It's true. You know, it's like this, this medium can like drag people down to a place, uh, you know, a, a mental space, a way of thinking that's not good, that is not okay. And that's what Song of the South can do to people. That's what birth of a nation can do to people is in 
you know, I think there's movies that have come out recently in the past few years that are they're not nearly as dangerous as those two that I just named, but that that are lying to you, that are saying, hey, this is, you know, and that, but it's not true. You know, this is not how it is. You know, I think there's movies that want to put things into a bow. Oh, uh, you know, we're all good. We can work together. Let's move on. I just that's that's just not true. That's not true, you know, and movies will do that forever. You know, there's always going to be filmmakers that interpret, you know, things falsely. <laughs> and then they make a movie and it's, you know, and it's stupid and annoys us. And, but that's the medium. <laughs> that's the, that's the, you know, craft. That's the art form that you and I have fallen in love with. And you, you kind of take the shit with the good, you know, you, you have to. Uh, that's what being a cinephile kind of is sometimes is it's not always going to be pleasant. You know, the experience is not always going to be, you know, shits and giggles. It's just not. Yeah. You know, with that in mind, I looking at like, you know, the book and what we've, what we're planning and what we've, you know, the potential episodes we can do this may be the darkest we ever go on this podcast. Like this, this is dark stuff. This is real. This is too, this is real. Now, we mostly cover, you know, horror, sci-fi, fantastical things and films that, you know, are made to be weird for the right reasons. But this one, there are just so many, there's so much darkness connected to this film that it hurts to talk about almost. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Whew. I feel like Frodo, like at the last leg of Mount Doom, like just about to throw the ring in, like just the weight on his shoulders. God, let's move it. Let's 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 dump this ring. <laughs> um, so let's talk a bit about the cast. We have um, James Basket as Uncle Remus, as well as the voices of Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, and Br'er Bear. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> God, just so harmful. <laughs> yeah these characters the the animated ones oh boy he only had 10 acting credits in his short-lived career some of which include gone harlem policy man and revenge of the zombies a lot of which which are billed as all black productions which is weird 1938 is like don't worry white people don't see this one it's really fucked up i looked at some of these and that's kind of what they are they're like billed specifically towards you know black people like i didn't know that was happening in film there were films made like specifically by and for black people and then films made by and for white people i did not realize that i don't know why i fucking didn't it doesn't know it's not surprising yeah yeah no no not at all but to see it just like to see the example out in front of you yeah it definitely wakes you up just kind of whoa you know um (laughs) that's that's kind of crazy right that (laughs) that uh over you know in cinematic history there's these filmmakers that are just they're just like what's the point what's the point of me even trying to appeal to this massive white audience that just is not gonna get it and is not gonna even try uh that's there's there's filmmakers still today that you know i'm sure that I would love to, I would love to be exposed to, you know, that are, that are making movies today that I had that people just, you know, because it is an all black production or whatever it may be, you know, we, we read stories about the farewell, uh, a movie that's 
made by a Chinese American woman. And she had issues with getting, getting people she wanted on her cast, you know, to, yeah. you know, a fucking year ago, you know, and this is the kind of shit that happens in, in, in again, in this, this, this dark, dark industry that we love, but also understand it is not been pretty. True. But we have gotten way better because the farewell was not billed as all Chinese cast. No, don't no. bother seeing it. White people. It was actually, you know, what's funny about that is, is now, now it's like geared towards <laughs> young white people in America, like a 24, come check this out. You know, <laughs> it is a 100%. Th- these movies are, you know, a movie like parasite or moonlight. These are definitely movies. They're like, Hey, if you want to be, you want to be fucking hip. You want to know what's going on. You should see these. You know, that's very much what happens today is yeah. if the if a movie is uniquely casted, you know, oh, this is an all black cast or oh, this is an all Latino cast, it immediately becomes this thing that like, oh, you haven't seen that? What the fuck is wrong with you? You know, or yeah. it imme- it immediately made it made Black Panther a great movie before people even digested it. And that that sucks. That sucks that we're in a place where we can't actually just appreciate you know, the films themselves and, you know, yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it's, we're still growing. We're still growing. Yeah. It's virtue signaling. It's people who use that as a way to sound better about themselves and make you look like an asshole. Exactly. And exactly. Abusing like the whole point of why these films are made that way. But back in the thirties, this, it was not an optional thing. This was, Ooh. you either make your movie with an all black crew or you're not making your goddamn movie. Get out of my face, which is yeah. fucked up beyond belief. So, See, I look at that and then I look at the current state of the film industry and yeah, we've got problems with you know sexism and racism, but we have gotten better. We have gotten better and we have to hold on to that. And we got to keep, we got to keep pushing to do, to do even better every day, yeah. every year, every, you know, keep going. Ugh. Yeah. Got, got to, I mean, it, it is, it is got to hold shit accountable in this, <laughs> in this world, this, this movie world, you know, it is, I do not want to be the naive fan who just watches these movies and la 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 and eats my popcorn. You know, that's, there's so much more to it. You know, there's people's lives, you know, that are being put into this stuff and being put, you know, thrown into the mix of this stuff. And, you know, a guy who plays uncle Remus, you know, he's, he lives with that, you know, this stuff is, this stuff is real life. Like you said, it's, it's fucking real life (laughs) because of this film. He was known as uncle Remus. Yeah, yeah, called him Uncle Remus. Like, so fucked up. And he he would die two years later in 48 at uh, 44 years old from a heart problem. And it's crazy how many people died young from this film. Uh, Bobby Driscoll plays Johnny. He would go on to voice Peter Pan in the 1953 film. And he played Jim Hawkins in Disney's Treasure Island. Uh, He tragically died in 1968 at only 31 years old from a massive heart attack at 31 years old. He had like plaque built up in his arteries. He had a heart attack. He died broke and alone and was buried in an unmarked pauper's grave. Holy shit. That's the saddest thing I've heard in a very long time. Yeah. That's why, you know, I said, I felt like shit about saying that he had a horrible performance. Cause you know, that here I am, you know, it's real life. You know, these are, these are real people and yeah, clearly, clearly something affected him and, Maybe it was being in the movie industry. Maybe it tore him apart and 
Well, just, that's that's so that's so sad. Thirty one years old. It's just not much older than you and I, buddy. It sucks. Well, the thing about Disney, man, if those kids once you grow up, you're not really useful to them anymore. You're not part of the Mickey Mouse Club anymore. So when that happens and that's all you've known, you don't know what to do with your life. And studios have done that for year, like for centuries. Well, not centuries, decades. They've, you know, once you become too old to play cute or you know, play a kid, suddenly, you know, they, they pass you up and they get, you know, a new, a new model. It's fucked up, but that's, that's how it worked. And it's, that still happens all the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've talked many times about how fucking seedy and twisted Hollywood is. And despite the products we love, we know that they, a lot of them are made with suffering. <laughs> we know that. And we try to address it. We really try. Yeah. Well, well, also there are times where, you know, the, sh- the shit is extremely, extremely fun. Obviously we wouldn't do it. Um, you know, one of my like all time favorite things is, is hearing <clears throat> just, just, a, a about a year ago at the, at the Oscars, you hear when Brad Pitt gets his word for Cliff Booth, he goes up and, you know, he goes on to, you know, say some really nice things, but he like, you know, singled out Quentin and just kind of like gave us, you know, fans of his, right. You know, fans of fans of Tarantino's fans of Brad Pitt's in that moment when Brad Pitt singled him out and was like, man, I love you. Like you're so honest and true and you're just an amazing creator and being on the set is just like so awesome. When you hear that, it gives you chills. It gives you goosebumps everywhere to, to imagine actual magic happening on a set, right? Yeah, but I don't know who to trust anymore because for same, years, same. <laughs> for years I've heard at the Oscars, you know, in many acceptance speeches, I want to thank Harvey Weinstein. I've heard that so many fucking times. So I don't know who to trust anymore when it comes to I, Hollywood. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I just, I, 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 I'd be remiss, you know, I, I love those moments when you have something sort of, you know, even if it is questionable, something sort of validated in your mind about, oh, this was actually a decent experience, you know? Oh, this Steven Soderbergh movie actually went well. People actually had fun. Uh, Whatever, whatever it may be, you know, I think that's, I think that is something to strive for, obviously in filmmaking is for your set to be a cool and safe and fun environment. It just doesn't happen enough. I agree. And I want it to happen more and it is happening more, but there's so many ulterior motives and phony people that I just, I do not know who's, who's cool and who's not. I have a vague idea, but you know, I liked Kevin Spacey for years and then all that shit came out. So I don't know, maybe I'm just turning into a cynic. Well, yeah, you know, definitely. I, I, you know, this is, I've said a lot of tough stuff, you know, at this point, if you're still listening, thank you. This has been very, it's very difficult. But you know, I still, Kevin Spacey still blows me away in the movies that he was in, uh, Usual Suspects and American Beauty. Um, I, I still admire that work. I always will. Uh, his work as Hopper in A Bug's Life is yeah. totally unbelievable. I cannot stand the dude. And I don't like at all how he handled everything, whatever that was like four years ago now, three or four years ago. 
when everything really came out. I think it was, yeah, summer or fall of 2017 when that kind of just, you know, kind of exploded. But I'm, you know, before that happened and now, I s- still really like what he's doing in some some movies and some, you know, in season one of House of Cards. I, same way that I really like how Roman Polanski directed Chinatown. I, It's hard. It's very hard. And I know Kevin Spacey's on the screen the whole time as an actor. And Polanski's the director, but I, I still see them as they're very much a part of the art that I'm that I'm intaking. And, it, you know, I just I have to admit that, you know, I can't be someone who's just fuck all of it. Uh, moving forward, I don't really want to see anything Kevin Spacey ever has to offer. But the stuff that I liked already, I still like. Fair enough. Yeah, I get your point. Once you see it, it belongs to you. And uh well, Harvey Weinstein. I mean, yeah. I, when it comes to the accept, like to the acceptance speeches to the real side of Hollywood. Oh yeah, yeah. Knowing <laughs> who's been lying about all this for so long, everyone knew it. it is always an open secret. So I just I find everyone a little detestable now. It's just it's hard to kind of have faith in anybody in Hollywood anymore. That's that's kind of why I brought up Brad Pitt. He's really the only. <laughs> Brad Pitt, you know, we obviously adore the man's the man's work, his talent. He seems like a pretty cool guy. <laughs> and there's a lot of guys who don't seem pretty cool. He he actually does seem like a pretty pretty cool guy. And that's why I brought up that that particular speech, but I'm with you, man. You really when they say stuff like that, you have no idea what's what's true and what isn't. God, I miss Vincent Price. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well yeah, you you pray for fucking individuals like that to come into the movie industry well like you know tarantino might be a weird piece of shit but he's his own guy and no one's come out and really accused him of anything which is kind of strange i was expecting that because he's such a weird guy yeah he's to me to me the most frustrating thing about his entire career is that moment in pulp fiction that's it like i i hate that that scene is in pulp fiction I can't believe that he thought it was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to throw this shit in there and I'm going to just say the N word a couple of times. I just don't really get it. <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 it really, it really doesn't fit because he's not nearly as good at acting, you know, as the rest of the guys. And so in that scene, it just doesn't make any sense, let alone like, dude, why are you just writing the scene? Like just so you can say this shit. Like, that's kind of weird. Cause that's the whole movie, right? It's Pulp Fiction is just, genius writing of like off the cuff like oh this is amazing authentic speech and then you throw yourself in there to do that that's that's kind of it man um i really like his movies and i i I think the guy's passion for movies in his life is is what i admire most is the new beverly cinema is his tenacity to go on to different podcasts and shows and and share what he loves about movies whether it be his own or what other people make that's yeah. that's really cool yeah i don't know how we i don't remember how we got here but yes i agree well talking about filmmakers well i was talking about brad pitt saying <clears throat> we were talking about how shitty all these sets are and all this stuff and i was talking about how brad pitt called out quentin tarantino yeah saying that the set for once upon a time in hollywood was amazing and okay that that he cherished all these moments with him and you know this and that and, and i was saying how that is nice to hear every now and again because yeah. usually, usually it seems like it's a shit show. 
especially in 46. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moving on to the cast, we have Luana Patton, who plays Ginny. She was also a Disney star at a young age. She would appear in Fun and Fancy Free and Melody Time, as well as films such as Johnny Tremaine and So Dear to My Heart. Uh, she died in 96 at age 57 from respiratory failure. And the only other cast member I want to bring up is Oscar winner Hattie McDaniel, who plays yes. Aunt Tempe. McDaniel was the first African-American to be nominated and win an Oscar, winning for her performance in 1939's Gone with the Wind. None of her other performances were ever as famous, and it's unfortunate to see her in this film, considering her importance to film history. Uh, she died in 1952 at age 59 from breast cancer, and I was not expecting to see her in this. She was a pioneer for African-Americans in the film industry, and seeing her in this just hurts. Yeah, especially, yeah, seven years after Gone with the Wind and uh, knowing that she is obviously a huge part of Oscar history and a part of cinematic history. Yeah, man, that's that's not cool to see. But uh, I, I did see that when I first looked at the IMDb uh, before I started watching the film. I, I saw that and I was like, oh, boy, really had zero idea what was going on with the cast in this movie. But Hattie, Hattie is the most overqualified um yeah it's kind of sucks to see that yeah yeah song of the south has an imdb score of 7.1 a rotten tomato score of 50 percent it grows 65 million on a budget of around 2 million it won two oscars best yeah. original song for zippity doodah and an honorary award for james basket for reasons i can't seem to understand it was basically just like for playing Uncle Remus. That was kind of it. Like in the IMDb, that's what it says. Honorary Ward, James Basket for playing such a lovable storyteller. Like, it does not make sense. Like, this wasn't for nothing. Yeah. And then it was also nominated for Best Original Score for composers Paul J. Smith, Charles Wolcott, and Danielle Amphithetrov. It made Disney the profit they needed but they've all but wiped it off the face of the earth for reasons we've pretty much explained. Uh, so as usual, I have some talking points here. I mean, we pretty much kind of already covered a lot of what we were going to say, but uh, I have some stuff I'd like to bring up about the film. Um, yeah. 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 So right from the get go, we're on a Georgia plantation. And while this film the background and everything says it takes place after slavery. There's really nothing in the film to suggest that in the slightest. It's the way Disney portrays slavery is this like mutual agreement where everybody's just tolerating everyone else, which is not at all what 200 years of enslavement was like. And um, I find that incredibly disingenuous and dangerous. Yeah. The, the, the disconnect there uh, with reality. Yeah. It is 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 fucking frightening that you you have this goddamn zippity doodah zippity day song playing while reminiscing about yeah you know, what are we what are we trying to teach here other than yeah just just pure lies and that's a very frustrating way to start a movie yeah well and you know it gives children a skewed view of history it teaches them like oh. Well, we all got along the whole time. Plantation, yeah, yeah plantation, uh, you know, owners and slaves, they were totally cool with each other. Like, man, like, 
the where are you at? The, the the awareness is just not there at all. Um, to think that there was harmony between <laughs> between people, uh, you know, there's not harmony now. What are we? What what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. it makes no sense. No sense to talk about the darkest darkest thing in America's history. To to paint it as uh, something that was actually tolerable. From from the pers- from the pers- from the perspective of the people that it was happening to, not know, just, shame shame on you, you know. <laughs> not just tolerable, but this film makes it look like they would rather be doing nothing else. Like this yeah, is like, their yeah. entire like, yay, we get to work on a Georgia plantation. It's so fucked up, like r- ridiculously fucked up. Uncle Remus is just kind of around, like telling stories for no particular reason. It's the whole situation is never addressed properly. And God. <laughs> that's yeah. That's, that's the, that's the, we talk about it being tone deaf. That's it. The whole time is the whole hour and a half. There's never a moment of, you know, reflection or actual, you know, authenticity. It's just extreme disconnect with reality of this plantation is this is not this is not how it works this is not. <laughs> and that's the whole movie that's the setting of the whole movie so that 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 alone is tough to swallow all right so putting the whole the entire racist structure of this film aside which is tough let's talk about why it's a bad movie in general in terms yeah. of storytelling and character so yeah we kind of open with a lot of rampant child abuse. There's um, yeah, yeah. The kids are pretty mistreated in this. Dad just kind of is like, by the way, I got a newspaper situation I got to deal with. So you and mom are staying here. And the kid is like, no, how will I live without my emotionally neglectful father? Like, I don't really understand that. Like the kid runs away because dad has to go take care of some business for like, what, a couple of weeks. He's coming back. Like it's never, he's not leaving them there forever. He's coming back. Like, yeah. And, and, and not, um, <clears throat> that, that's something that stuck out to me right away when I was like, Oh God, this is just not going to even be a good movie is there's no, there's, there's nothing there for me to believe for that moment to be true. But for one, the acting between both act- is, is horrible from, from both father and son in that moment. I don't believe from either of them that this moment is actually happening. So that's just a foundational thing. Right. And then you're thinking about the big picture of what's, what's really going on. And like you said, <laughs> it's gonna be gone for what, a week or two. He's got to go make money so that you guys can stay here. And the son is acting like he's going off to war. Um, I don't know. Just, just didn't add up at all. So it just, yeah. Set me off in the wrong direction right away. Yeah. And of course, Johnny, you know, walks around this plantation, gets to meet all these jovial slaves and says, you know, meets these neighbor kids who are like actively trying to drown puppies. I mean, that's so casual in this film. I'm thinking like, did that used to just fucking happen in the 40s where kids just, when they were bored, just drowning puppies? Holy shit. That's a whole new problem. I didn't know I had to think about. God. Fucking little, little pricks <laughs> i couldn't believe that shit oh man and they literally these kids go to their mom like hey he stole one of our puppies so we can't drown it 
Like, what the fuck? <laughs> These kick the can redneck fucking fucking kids. What the hell? Uh, I I just can't believe this is a this is a real like you know product, a film with a real budget and all kinds of recognition and ah, it's so bizarre. So poorly constructed. <laughs> it really is. And he's got a pretty shitty family. I mean, they have like a birthday party for him and they have the fucking birthday party without Johnny. <laughs> they just yeah. have the party and then mom's like, where were you? We had the cake and everything and you weren't there. Like, wow. Way to, way to be a good mom there. Happy birthday, Johnny, you little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I thought of, uh, there's this show, uh, you probably have seen it, the cartoon uh, F is for Family with Bill Burr. <laughs> Uh, those two kids reminded me of the neighbors in F is for Family that are you know just really country and hillbilly. Um, they reminded me of the kids, yeah, in Song of the South, yeah, just drowning puppies and shit. The fuck it sounds so outlandish, like it would be a gag in that show. Yeah, yeah, it would be a gag in Family Guy. Yeah, some whack ass cartoon, not not Song of the South, which actually has live action stuff going on. God. Um, I was always, I was kind of, uh, curious about why uncle Remus is just suddenly leaving. Like they tell him, you know, you got to stop telling stories to my kid. He's getting ideas about thinking for himself. And <laughs> then he just kind of like takes off. Like nobody kicked him out. They just said like, exactly how it is. Story. Hmm? <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, uh, man, Remus, R- Remus, Right away, uh, you know, this is the, the obviously this character we've been talking the whole time about how offensive it is. This character is is so committed to doing this stereotypical. Every sentence is um is just is just ridiculous. It's outlandish, and I'll, I'll honestly applaud the commitment from the actor to do this to to fucking make his money you know to do what he had to do this is this is an an appalling character and i feel really bad for the guy right when you're watching it you just kind of feel like oh my god i'm surprised this this guy's being used yeah i'm surprised they even went with a black actor like the fact that this is not you know some white dude in blackface telling stories is actually the best thing about this movie (laughs) which is really fucking that's some. That's a low bar. That's a very low bar. Well, yeah. After you just watched a uh, Holiday Inn from nineteen forty, what forty two? Yeah. Which holy shit! Have I talked about that on either podcast yet? Um, I'm not sure, but go ahead and give some context. Yeah. Oof. Okay, so Holiday Inn. Uh, I watched. You know, it's Christmas recently. Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire are you know running a hotel that's only open during the holidays, which is a very ill advised business plan. And um, they, yeah, they're having a President's Day dance, and Bing Crosby comes out in full blackface and starts singing about President Lincoln. Yeah, pretty goddamn jarring. And yeah, uh, so, so I can see why you would think in 1946, just four years later, Hollywood wouldn't do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's there's not a lot of consistency. I mean, for good or bad, it's just weird that they are willing to do that with Holiday Inn not giving a shit and then song of the set maybe walt disney was like i don't know had a change of heart 
for a briefest moment. It was like, maybe we should have a, a black guy in this movie. Like, I don't know. Guys, uh, I think this will go over better. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, sure you're... 80, 80, 80 years later, no, it doesn't go over well at all. Yeah. And make sure you're removing those cigarettes for my pictures. Yeah. <laughs> you guys know about that? He like cigarettes were photoshopped out of every picture he was ever that was ever taken of him. That's why he's always like got his two fingers like this. Love it. Can't have the guy behind Pinocchio smoking. No, of course not. That's not a good look. No, you can have him meet with Nazis. He did that. Um Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. And the last thing I want to bring up is the scene where Johnny gets fucking run over by a bull and it gives him a mild fever. I don't know if you've seen a lot of bull tackles, but you tend not to get sick from it. You tend to get snapped in half. Especially if you're eight fucking years old. Yeah, yeah. Johnny, this little weak-ass kid. I, um, I have not. I have not been around any bulls. Um, is it bull or bulls? Yeah, it's bulls. It's bulls. I have not been around any bulls. And I can't imagine at eight years old, you know, I'm 25 now. So, you know, you got to go, go back some, some time here in, in my mind. And I think, uh, I think I'd have a serious anxiety attack at eight years old and would just crumble. You would be dead. <laughs> Bef- no, no, no. I'm saying before anything happens, I would oh. crumble. I would have an anxiety attack and crumble before I even got touched. Yeah. Yeah. Me at too. eight. At eight. That might happen now. If a bull was coming at me, I might just panic and die. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I'd hope to God I was wearing a red sweatshirt I could like throw away. But just toss as yeah. far ah. as I can. Take it. Go get it. Ah. <laughs> you, you know what'd be great is if that just didn't work at all. You're like, God, ah, fuck. <laughs> I do that and I forget I'm wearing a red t shirt. <laughs> and I just eat it anyway. So, some guy behind you has a red, sh- he's like just fucking with you. Yeah. God damn it, Jimmy. <laughs> so yeah, Johnny gets run the fuck over by a bull at full speed and it gives him a fever that only his father's voice can break. Of course, of course. This is Disney. And then just after that, he's just walking around like he didn't get smacked into a fence by a fucking bull. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Oh, it's also out of nowhere. Oh, that's all I have. <laughs> Just some weird shit I wanted to bring up. Uh, you know, as much you know, we've been bashing it for a while here. Uh, oh, the the one positive that I came out with—it's hard to do that when you're just kind of annoyed the whole time—is the animation is fucking gorgeous for 1946. Um, the characters themselves are hard to even digest or look at, but yeah. I found the, the the drawings themselves and like very on par with the rest of the you know good things happening in the forties for you know Disney like Bambi just aesthetically pleasing when it was animated but but it doesn't really matter when your story is complete shit. Um, I did want to shout that out though that was the one thing that I felt sort of positive about. Did you know that those characters, Brer Rabbit, Brer Fox, and all them? They're just walking around Toontown and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read that. I read Crazy. that. I, I want to rewatch uh, Roger Rabbit. I haven't seen it in a few years, so 
It'd be cool to kind of be cool to catch all those things. Yeah, that's a masterpiece. That's Disney at its peak. That's good. That's good shit. That's studios working together to make a great product that we can all love because it's not racist. <laughs> it's it's a great crime noir with a great Christopher Lloyd and Bob Hoskins, and I love Roger Rabbit. And I'm so happy I get to love Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good one. 1988. It's a fun one we could do on Oscar Sunday. Tell you what, after this episode, I'm going to need like an injection of fun stat. Because this is, yeah, talking about this movie, I'm glad I never have to go back to this. Like, I can say I've seen it and now move on with my life. Is Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel the same way. Not necessarily um, that I feel you know, good or anything, but I do feel, I do feel something. I feel, I don't even want to say accomplished. I feel like I, I gained a little bit of perspective. Yeah. And, and even, even if that's all you get, even if it's just a little bit, even if you, you can have a long, long, you know, conversation or debate with somebody and maybe you guys disagree on everything, but if you agree to disagree, you know, that that's perspective and that's something that you can walk away with. Hey, that person has way different opinions than I do. And I have to, you know, see it, reconcile with it and, and move on and try to grow myself. And that's, that's kind of what you got to do with some of these movies is not, you know, obviously we're, we're having this conversation here, but once we move on, I'm with you. I kind of want to move on from it itself, the film um, and, and, tr- and try to see, try to see other things. Uh, but this is, it's, these are important conversations to have. And I do think, going back to what I said a long time ago when this episode first started, <laughs> was that <clears throat> we are two 25-year-old white dudes. But you know what? We're the, we are the people that have to fix fucking racism because white people in America are, quite frankly, the ones who created this shit and, and made all this happen. So it is white people's job to do the work, do the research, and, and fix that shit themselves. And I know you and I take it seriously yeah we want we we desire to grow actually grow in a you know a kind way we actually want to open up be vulnerable and, and see what what is out there and see why you know this country has been so unfair to so many people for so long right you and i actually want to do that um, yeah that's important that's important white folks in this country we have to do that we have to recognize have to confront ourselves and see what we can all do better and i think you and i throughout this conversation watching this film you know gain some perspective and that's important very important i mean you know i have a multicultural family i have black cousins who i love and i you know i'm i hate that i'm scared of them getting pulled over that's that's fucked up and i hate that like that happened to my cousin he got pulled over uh, last week and was scared to hell. He was terrified. And, you know, my aunt is a white woman. She gets pulled over. She flirts her way out. She told me that. And some people don't have that luxury. Some people, that's a life or death situation. And we really have to, you know, people with a chance to make a dent in this ongoing problem we've had since the beginning of the fucking country, people who have the power to make that better need to. Like, we have to do the right thing for once. It's really fucked up. We've been doing the wrong thing the whole goddamn time. It's like, we see these riots. We see 
the divisiveness in this country and we've done nothing but fuel the fire for so long. And it's, it's up to our generation to do better. That's yeah. really the theme of this episode is do fucking better. Yeah. Oh. 100%. Yeah. And that's, that's the point of watching, you know, sometimes, sometimes the point of watching, you know, old films or consuming old artists to see how it was during that exact time and see how far we've come and continue be inspired to continue to grow because we always have more ground to cover. Absolutely. With that, let's take a look at some filmgasm facts. Hell yeah. Number one, once Whoopi Goldberg was inaugurated as a Disney legend, one of her first requests to the Walt Disney company was for them to finally release this film to the public and to stop hiding it and being ashamed of their own racist past. I appreciate that. Never. It'll never happen. Yeah, no, no. Good try. Number two, and this is very sad. The film had its world premiere at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, Georgia on November 12th, 1946 with huge fanfare. Walt Disney made an introductory remarks, introduced the cast, then quietly left for his room at the Georgian Terrace Hotel across the street. He had previously stated that unexpected audience reactions upset him and he was better off not seeing the film with an audience. James Baskett was unable to attend the film's premiere because he would not have been allowed to participate in any of the festivities as Atlanta was then a racially segregated city. In fact, the second reason why Disney did not watch the film during its premiere screening was for out of respect for Basket and the other black actors of the film who were all also banned from attending the premiere. I hope that's, God damn it, that's so fucked up and hurtful and it just, I, I hate it so much. There's nothing good about, <laughs> about it, nothing. Walt Disney didn't like that and he didn't watch the film. I mean, he could have done more, but I appreciate the sentiment at least. Uh, number three, this is the first motion picture that the legendary cinematographer Greg Toland worked on that was filmed in Technicolor. All the films Toland had worked on prior to this film were filmed in black and white, including Citizen Kane, The Best Years of Our Lives, The Grapes of Wrath, Wuthering Heights, and The Long Voyage Home. So I didn't realize the cinematographer had some serious uh, chops. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Did we talk about Greg Tolan when we did the Citizen Kane episode? Yeah, we did a bit. We, we There's just so many individuals involved in that that we, we missed some, yeah. Number four. As Disney has never physically released the film on home video in America, the film will go to public domain in 2039, and Disney will lose all copyright to the film if they don't ever release the film physically or digitally by then. I'm wondering about that. Like, do you think Disney will finally cave just so they can keep the rights to this? Or do you think they're just going to let it go to public domain? Public domain. Let it go. Let it go and see, see what happens to it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I give this film, when I first saw it, I gave it a six. And that was being generous. Um, I like the zippity doo song. I think it's cute. I think it's... I found myself whistling it. I do think the animation is pretty cool. Uh, I, I truly, the more, I, the more, I know we've talked about this a lot. I, I don't think Walt Disney intended to hurt anybody. I still think that judging by his reaction at the, at the release and just what his reputation was known for when it came to films, I don't think he wanted to hurt anybody's feelings. I think he was completely out of his element and didn't know what the hell he was doing, but I don't think there was hurtful intent. Uh, 
yeah, I just think Walt Disney didn't get it. And there's evidence across the Disney filmography that shows he never did. You know, he was a white man who grew up in the Midwest in the late, in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. I mean, what other mindset was this man going to have? Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of it, you have to look at society of that time and think like, really it's who was the least racist is the, is really the way you have to look at it. It's fucked up, but that's, that's the reality of it at the time. Oh man. So sad. So sad that it, that, that it does come to conversations like that. It comes to that, you know, least, you know, what's the, what's, what's the least of these, you know? Yeah. That's, that sucks, man. That's the reality of, of so many things that happen in our country. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know where to, where to go with a, like a, a rating for, for, yeah. for the movie. Uh, I would say, I think a three based on, yeah, that animation is, is all, is pretty good. And, Zippy doo doo da, yeah. I mean, obviously a song that that's people sing even though they have no idea where it's from. It's one of those things, one of those cultural things. But yeah, it, it's just a shitty, shitty movie. Uh, very rarely do we ever cover movies that are this bad. <laughs> True. Uh, you know, we usually do some pretty fun movies or stuff that you know is out there and has something to offer and it's just different. But this is just bad. Yeah, bad stuff and. And then, of course, with all the stuff we talked about, it's just a downright dangerous movie in the wrong hands. True. Very true. And I hope nobody out there resents my six because it's a uh, I looked at it as a film as best I could. I looked at it as a film and not a cultural event. It's, yes. It's yeah. tough to do that, but I have to. And um, a reason why people tend to you know, know about Zippity Doodah, but not really the movie a lot of that can be attributed to Splash Mountain, which yeah, yeah. was the ride <laughs> that was based on this movie that Disney still has. Yes, I've been on Splash Mountain. Yeah, I've never been to Disney World. Uh, I've been to I've been to World and Land, and it's it's been a while. I was I was six when I went to Disney World, and I was twelve when I went to Disneyland. So it's been it's been a while. I've been to Universal Studios Orlando twice. That's that's my- I. Yeah, I've, I've been there once as well. Oh boy, that is that's. I prefer that to Disney World. I prefer Universal Studios. I think it's got more interesting stuff for like up my alley, up your alley. You know, I had the first time I went. It was a year after they closed the Back to the Future ride. Fuck I was, yeah! I was so upset. I was like, no, I wanted to Wait, go. Oh, oh, a year after they closed it. Oh, yeah. I thought you I said before. Damn, damn. But. I, they, were, they had the time train from part three and the DeLorean behind like velvet ropes and I got to touch it. And that there was you a, go. It was a big moment for me. <laughs> yeah, of course, man. Yeah, it's, that's, that's nice to see. When they you have a guy who goes out there once a day dressed as Doc Brown and he cleans the car and then he looks at his watch, yells, great Scott, and takes off running into the park. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> And I got to see that guy on the second. Like I was watching him like Doc Brown's just kind of hanging around the car. And then he was like, great Scott and took off. And I'm like, this was, I'm glad I was here to see that. <laughs> totally worth it. Yeah. Oh, I love universal. Yes. So with that, let's close out the show by kind of taking a closer look at some other examples of blatant racism throughout the Disney pantheon. <laughs> Call them out on some more shit. Yeah. I have a few here that I'd like to bring up first up Dumbo. So, there's a character in Dumbo literally named Jim Crow. Uh, voiced by a white man. 
and with a, like a, with a black twang in his voice. And he's the leader of a group of crows who are just there to be there. They don't need to be there. They serve no purpose to the story. They're just there, I guess, for comedy value, which is even more fucked up. And uh, the fact that they would call him Jim Crow, Jesus Christ. Like, you don't get more tone deaf than that. No, no. Well, yeah, Song of the South. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the bar's been set pretty damn high. Um, <laughs> so Dumbo, have you seen Dumbo? Yeah, I have. It's been a long, long time. But I've also seen the live action one that was just made recently. And it was all right. Dumbo's cute. Kind of pointless, but cute. Yeah, yeah, definitely pointless. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Dumbo fans. Um, next up, Peter Pan. This is the big one for me. Um, Peter Pan, classic story, the boy who never grew up, pixie dust, Captain Hook, all that shit. Well, there's a scene in the film and in the book, well, I, I'm assuming less racist in the book, uh, where they meet Indians, and they are bright red, have exaggerated features, big old jugs of alcohol, and they say how. And the song they sing is What Makes the Red Man Red. And holy shit, is it hard to watch now. Like, good God. Say what you want about Pocahontas. They were way more respectful towards Native Americans than that. Yeah, no, I I, I, I don't really ever watch Peter Pan anymore because it's like, it's pretty, pretty painful. Um, yeah. That one. That one's like... Uh, that one kind of goes past tone deaf to like, okay, you're 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 trying to offend, you're trying to offend people, and that is n- not only to to dress, you know, to like you said, when you're drawing the characters to make them bright red, but to make the song about that, that's 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 double whammy. That's showing that you definitely know what you're doing, yeah, and, also, and you're you're trying to get under people's skin. Yeah. Also, that song has zero relevance to the plot whatsoever. You could exactly. take that whole segment out, and nothing would change. And th- and that's 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 kind of my point with like with Disney is if they're gonna be accountable about Song of the South, maybe edit that part of the film and yeah. take it out, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. because Peter Pan is is uh, is quality, but then yeah, I it goes back to my fundamental belief of leave it all, leave it all there, leave it on, you know, put it up, let people see how it is. But if you're gonna hold one accountable, you gotta hold them all. See, I understand that. I really do. But I'm so against censorship. And Me, me too. Me too. A, but if yeah. Song of the South is gone, then they've already yeah. censored. But it's a slippery slope. Because like, if you censor that, who's to say what else is offensive and in what film? Ex- and then what, are, what else Agreed. do we start removing? So it's, yeah. it's a difficult conversation. I think you have to go one way or the other. I just don't think it can be... I don't think Song of the South is the only one that should be put up on that pedestal of this is the only fucked one. The rest are okay. It, it, that becomes hard. I think I'm with you fundamentally that they should all be out there. Everything that Disney has made should be on Disney Plus. But if Disney Plus is going to make the decision to take one down, I just it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to leave the others up. Well, let's talk about one that they have messed with, uh, Lady and the Tramp. Okay, I didn't. I didn't know they messed with that one. I haven't seen it in a long time. I've actually never seen this one. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, there's a few Disney movies that just pass me by. Uh, there's a lot, yeah. So the character, the two Siamese cats, Sai and Am, they have this whole uh, Asian-themed yeah. song about how they're Siamese cats. 
that whole bit, that whole song has been taken out on the Disney Plus version of Lady and the Tramp. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> so, what do you think about that? I stand by my previous statement. I agree. I agree with you, man. It just, but I get it that they did that if they're going to do that to Song of the South, but now do it to the other ones, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what you're saying. It becomes slippery there because then you could have people complaining about the simplest thing like, Oh, Woody from toy story is offensive. You know, you know, then people are going to start making up all kinds of crazy shit people saying that. It. Yeah, they will. The people will, people will abuse it, you know? And that's where it gets slippery. I agree with you. That's where you got to, it's, it, it kind of becomes where you do have to pick one or the other. It's not so black and white or, or it's not so gray. It is black and white. Um, if song of the South is down. Yeah. I, and if you're going to edit that scene out of Lady and the Tramp, then Peter Pan, are you kidding me? When Weird. it comes to censorship, on one hand, I, I agree that there are some things people just do not want to see because it offends them on a fundamental level and it makes sense. And I agree with yeah, that. That's their choice, yeah. But on the other hand, there's something that people forget when it comes to what, like, what level of censorship people want. And that is that people overall are selfish bastards and they will abuse the hell out of that power to get things they don't even know like they don't even think are racist they just don't like out of there we saw that a lot when the me too me too movement happened like do you remember the whole chris hardwick thing chris hardwick that's the breaking bad walking dead guy yeah the amc's like talk show guy he was accused of rape and sexual assault by his ex-girlfriend immediately his show was taken down he was blacklisted it was later found out that she was lying about the whole thing. He was then reinstated and nobody said a word. Hmm. Damn. So that will happen. I do not think all of the accusations are fake. I think most of them are real. I am 100% on that train, but there are people out there who abuse things like that. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And censorship on Disney films and on film in general will, it'll happen exactly the same way. The first wave will be deserved and then it'll just keep happening with people who are complaining about nonsensical shit. I guarantee you that's what will happen. Which is, yeah, which is why we should go back to put everything out there and just, that's what it is. You watch at your own discretion. Yeah, But, you know, we have, like, we're not, you know, who the hell are we to say anything about this? It's Yeah, entirely, it's our opinion. It's yeah. our opinion. Oof. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, Scott, this is a serious episode. Um one more Asian example, uh, The Aristocats. Uh, another film I have not seen. Don't really plan to. This is not considered one of Disney's classics. More of just kind of taking up space. Uh, there's a Siamese cat. Always comes back to Siamese cats. Who is drawn in a mockingly Asian way. Is uh, playing an instrument with chopsticks. I think a lot of people have seen this screenshot. And he's singing about Chinese food. Oh, yeah. No, I, I actually quite enjoy a lot of aristocats um really yeah oh yeah uh you know there's a scene with two there's two dogs that i like two characters and one of them one of them like one of my favorite disney quotes is hold on i'm the leader i say when we go okay now go you know it's these two (laughs) dumb dogs going back and forth the whole film and it that particular part the music scene is yeah is 
extreme. And as I got older, it's definitely not a film that I revisit much anymore. But when I was younger, I, I watched Aristocats all the time. I thought it was so funny, you know, <laughs> uh, but it, it definitely isn't seen as a classic. I totally understand that. But those two dogs just cracked me up. I can't remember their names. I'm going to look it up. Well, maybe I mean, I'm not one to talk. I mean, one of my favorite Disney's is the Black Cauldron, which nobody really cares about. That's from 1985. Oh, no, the, those are the most fun ones, man. The, the, those random ones. Yeah. And there's nothing racist in the Black Cauldron. So that's a plus. <laughs> it's pretty sexist, but, you know, one thing at a time. <laughs> Uh, I cannot. Oh, it's uh, uh, Napoleon and Lafayette are the two names of the dogs uh, in Aristocats. And uh, actually, Scatman Carruthers plays the scat cat. And that, that cat's kind of funny. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, definitely hasn't aged too well. But I, yeah, you know, there's always those ones that kind of stand out when you're a kid. Like, yeah. um, like one that was more, you know, that's... <clears throat> from the past from this century while you and I have been alive uh, would be, I think now it has kind of a cult following is emperor's new groove. Just, I immediately kind of became entranced by that one as a kid. And I still am. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, it's really, really funny. And I just, I don't think it was ever on the same level as, you know, say the stuff that Pixar was doing at the time, you know, yeah. monsters Inc and finding Nemo, but God damn, it's a great movie. The Emperor's New Groove is a favorite of mine for many reasons. One, it's hilarious. Two, I'm half Peruvian, so I know about a lot of Peruvian culture, and I see it in that movie a lot. And it's cool to see, you know, a little bit of that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. The last one I have on my list, we've talked about pretty extensively, is Pocahontas. And the reasons this movie is pretty offensive is because, again, it tries to rewrite history and whitewash it and make it you know, a little childish in thinking, you know, we all got along and everything worked out fine. It paints an unflatter, like a, you know, a, a well, a flattering view of history that kids are going to think, you know, is, is true because kids are impressionist, impressionistic. Yeah. And uh, I find, you know, Pocahontas very bad for a, a, it's not that great of a movie and B it's insulting. <laughs> The true story behind Pocahontas is not a good. It's not a good story. It's a very sad story, and I think if they'd done that accurately, this could have been great. But no, Disney has to. You know, they have to be cute and quirky. And yeah, Pocahontas. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've we've spoken <clears throat> a bunch about it, but it it definitely is. One that I would think if, if they were to go through with, you know, taking stuff down, I think would be one of the very first ones they would do. Um, and one thing that I find to be, you know, so silly about it is, it, yeah, it, it completely neglects, you know, the true story of Pocahontas and just romanticizes, you know, the story between her and John Smith, played by Mel Gibson, who doesn't even try to do an accent that would be accurate for John Smith. Um, really, really don't know what that was all about. Um, like just the laziness around this and the, the want to um, Americanize it, uh, in such a, such a silly, silly way <laughs> and make it, you know, like a, just a purely love story between them two and not even, you know, with this story to not even mention, you know, like John Rolfe is like, is so bizarre and 
it's just not something Disney should mess with because it's a dark story. You know, that's a movie that Terrence Malick <laughs> can mess with, The New World from 2005, because it's fucking three hours and he actually goes there with how dark it was at times for Pocahontas and shows John Rolfe, who's played by Christian Bale, which is funny because Christian Bale is the voice of that one guy in um, Pocahontas. So I think his name's Thomas, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Really full circle stuff, but yeah, I just don't think it. Disney just does not have the right to do what they did with Pocahontas in '95. Yeah, I think it's wrong to bastardize true stories like that. But my biggest issue with Pocahontas is the ending, where Powhatan is just kind of like, "Yeah, I guess we're all we're not so different, you and I." And they're like, "Yeah, let's let's share Virginia," because that's not what happened, folks. What happened was bloody. It was fucked up, and it lasted a hundred plus years and it was just constant war and death and destruction and disease and none of that comes up in this incredibly dishonest movie yeah so there you have it uh if you want a list of disney films to avoid for your kids those there it is <laughs> uh yeah and it's you know it's up to it's up to everybody to choose which ones they feel like you know i know uh princess and the frog steers a lot of people in a weird direction because you know, years and years and years go by with the lack of representation for black people in Disney movies. And then you make this one called princess and the frog and the whole goddamn time, she's a frog and not a black woman. So fuck off with that. You know, there's just, it's, it's happened over and over again. And it's just, uh, it's unfair to, to certain people. You want some good old fashioned family fun uh, that doesn't make you think about horrific shit. I recommend 1973's Robin Hood. That's a nice little sweet one. <laughs> uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame's a bit dark, but doesn't really tread in a, un, you know, unfortunate direction. That was pretty solid. I like Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, um, yeah. There's you know there's there's definitely some gold there, obviously, um, which is why it's so frustrating. Yeah, it's you know people just don't like to see they don't we don't tolerate this shit anymore. We have for a long time, but now we're holding people accountable and it's nice. It's nice to finally have accountability and going forward. I really hope we do, you know, continue to be better. Like I've been saying. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Yeah. I think is, uh, you know, uh, these, these are the kind of movies that, you know, require intense conversation and require focus and, uh, every now and again, it's necessary. Yes, indeed. And that is all for this week, everyone. Thanks for listening to this incredibly sad episode. I apologize for this was if this bummed you out. Uh, we get it though. Um, before we announce next week's movie, I'd like to take this opportunity to make an awesome announcement. I'd like to introduce two new guys to the team uh, who will be making appearances throughout our various shows. Welcome to the team, Juwan Carter and Andrew Bachman. Glad to have you guys aboard. <laughs> Hell yes, man! Two guys that I. Uh, met a few years ago uh, and then you were able to meet them we saw uh, mid-90s together back when the theaters were open <laughs> uh, we saw uh, Midsommar together and you know I've always known that these guys are you know avid movie fans and I think they're going to be uh, awesome voices to have here on the team and I can't wait to see what they can do and uh, what they can add to our our shows that we got going on um, Really excited for, for what's to come and really excited for our next Oscar Sunday episode on Shrek. I mean, if you want to, 
you know, if you want something a little lighter, <laughs> come join us for that. And then of course we have sneak preview coming, man. <laughs> yeah. And especially if you are really hating Disney right now, Shrek was made in direct response as a fuck you to Disney. So enjoy that. Yes. <laughs> um, Juwan will be joining me on a filmgasm in a couple weeks with Andrew soon after. And we've now got seven people on our team. I'm so excited for them to get to participate big time in the new year. Looking forward oh, yeah. to not coming for you. A lot of cool shit. Yeah, man. Can't wait. Next week for our first filmgasm of 2021, I'm joined once again by Julie Cervantes to dig into a cult favorite sci-fi comedy of the late 80s. When dumb teenage wannabe rockers Ted Logan and Bill Preston have to finish their history report, they are given a time-traveling phone booth by the enigmatic Rufus. Now, Bill and Ted must prepare the most excellent history presentation ever by visiting various time periods and bringing historical figures to San Dimas in 1989. Next week, it's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Until then... Don't be a racist. And remember that Disney has growing to do just like all of us. Don't miss Shrek on Oscar Sunday this weekend. Happy New Year, and we'll see you next Wednesday.